0: have a hard time putting much credence or credibility into the price trends for cards that people don't even have in hand yet because it's kind of an artificial market in my opinion.
1: Welcome to Breaker Culture Weekly. The guys from breakerculture.com help pull back the curtains and give you insight into the hobby. Sit back and enjoy interviews, product breakdowns, and hobby analysis so you can get your edge in the marketplace.
0: Now to the show.
1: What is going on, folks? Ty from Breaker Culture, and this is episode ninety-one of Breaker Culture Weekly. Proud members of the BenchClear Media Network. Go to BenchClear.us and check out all of our great content from our awesome list of shows that is going to continue growing in the next few weeks. Hint, hint. Or go to our YouTube channel and check out some stuff there as well. Um, that's growing uh, pretty fast. So. If you if you're curious, go check out baseball collector stuff. Every couple days, he's, Mike's putting out some good stuff. He had a pretty polarizing rant last night about why uh, you know sports card quote investors are damaging the hobby, and it was a seven minute rant, and it, it, it somewhat focused on just the fact that eBay is not a is not protecting sellers the way it should be. But uh, it's it's a pretty compelling argument. So go get that a, a watch on YouTube. And then Jeff from Packy had Eric Norton on the show today. His episode came out. Today's Wednesday, June 10th. And he, uh, yeah, he opened up a box of 93 Upper Deck looking for a Derek Jeter rookie. And there was some great conversation that took place there in that, uh, that episode. So go check that out. Be sure to go to YouTube and, and subscribe to us there as well. Um, so, yeah, today's guest is awesome. Mike Summer from Wax Pack Hero. If you have not checked out Waxback Hero, go check him out on waxbackhero.com. You can find his podcast links there. You can find his resources, his blog. He has a lot of great resources. He spends quality time building out what what I think is is an awesome place to go and find out. List of information. His Project 2020 resource page is is outstanding. Uh, Today we talk about all kinds of things. It's Saturday morning, 8 a.m. We're just sipping our coffee and we just talk sports cards. And uh, we talk about his beginnings and how he got into what he's doing, kind of how he works, his magic and the hobby. He you know, he started years ago and figured out a way to kind of fund his collection. And we talk about that and some of the ins and outs of it. We talk about how in the world are we going to get past or um, just fight. I guess that's a good word, fight. Fight the just ridiculous increase in prices, man. Prices across the board are just getting dumb. Like it, I don't care how you spin it, it's just not doable anymore. And uh, we talk a little bit about that. We talk about Project Twenty Twenty, and uh, obviously we <laughs> that tra- that train left the station weeks ago, and it has uh, it is long, long, long gone. And I I have a hard time. I, I just I don't care w- what angle you're coming from. I have a hard time justifying. The, the Project Twenty Twenty story, especially when you kind of put everything together with declining prices, canceled sales, and the uh, the crazy print runs, it's it's a. But look, I don't want to spoil a, the conversation. Mike has a good perspective on it, and so we break that down a little bit. So so hopefully you enjoy that. I'll try to stop talking about Project Twenty Twenty here in the next few weeks, but it is relevant in everybody's mind because uh, a lot of people have participated. Now, before we get into the conversation. I want to remind you to go check out starstock.com. Guys, it's perfect segue, right? We just talked about eBay not taking care of sellers. If you're looking for a place to go that is a robust, complete, comprehensive marketplace, I think Starstock is one of the better resources slash marketplaces that we have had custom built for us, you know, us collectors, in a long, long time, if not ever. Um, And so I, again... I credit those guys. They are listening to what us collectors want and need. Because look, buying and selling is a normal thing, right? We want to be able to do that. We want our cards to go up in value. Like I don't care who you are. You want your cards to go up in value and you want to be able to trade, um, buy, sell in a marketplace that you feel confident in. And so StarStock is trying to build that and they've done a great job so far and it's continuing to be um, modified every week with new features. And uh, go check them out starstock.com. Click the link in the show notes and uh, be sure to mention that you came. You heard about us. heard about them from the Bench Clear Media Network slash Breaker Culture. And they are going to enter everybody that came from this show into a drawing for $500 in, sh- in store credit. How about that? 500 bucks in store credit for a Bench Clear Media Breaker Culture listener. Um, So be sure when you submit your card, you sign up, put a note in there that you came from Breaker Culture, and they're going to be entering that in. I'm going to have Scott on the show later this week, and we're going to talk through their story. But uh, I think you're going to be fascinated and enjoy what they are doing for the hobby. Cool? On to the show.
0: am Doing well? How are you? Good.
1: This is, a, this is an early morning podcast for you and I. 8 a.m. Central. Are You coffee guy? Saturday, Saturday morning. Yeah, side? exactly. Good stuff. Commit level for both of us should be uh, admired.
0: Well, when it when it comes to talking cards, you know, I I sometimes wonder if it can ever be too early to start talking <laughs> cards. Are you uh, are you a coffee guy? Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm drinking some coffee right now in my. Fourth annual Roger Ebert's Overlooked Film Festival mug.
1: Whoa. I'm assuming you've got a picture of that up somewhere on Twitter. That that deserves uh some recognition. <laughs>
0: I'm 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 sure it's it's up there someplace. Yeah.
1: We'll have to dig it up. Um what's your go to roast? Do you have are you particular about your coffee?
0: Uh, no. I I'm not. Uh I like to grind a whole bean coffee, you know. Um but I typically will buy it by the kind of two pound bag at Sam's. There's Mm -hmm. a, a, I think there's a roaster out of Iowa that they bring stuff in from. So it's not one of the, the big national roasters. It's a, it's a more local roaster. And I typically will buy that, but I honestly can't remember the name off the top of my head right now. I just know, (laughs) I I just know the bag and that's what I grab.
1: That's right. No, it's funny. Some weeks I feel like I'm pretty, uh, Picky about my coffee, and then the other weeks, well, same thing. We walking through Costco, we'll grab the two pound bag and just deal with it. Very hard to yep. tell the difference most of the time. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, so for folks that don't know you, Mike, maybe give us a little bit of a you know quick background of you and Pack Hero and kind of your four way into into the sports car world.
0: Sure. Yeah. So I collected as a kid, like many of us. I grew up in the '80s. Started collecting in 1986 after picking up a solo pack with a cubs player thad bosley on the on the top hmm. and that got me hooked and got me started and collected for about a decade there through the mid 80s to the mid 90s pivoted over to basketball for the late 90s as i was kind of getting into college and the strike kind of turned me off and and but then from really around 98 99 through 2015, I was out of the hobby. I never got rid of my cards, but I wasn't actively collecting and then stumbled back into the hobby in late 2015 and really just started picking up steam Since, As I got more and more into it, I realized that if I wanted to collect at the level I wanted to collect, I'd need to um, figure out a way to make the hobby a little more self-sustaining. And so kind of added the business element of buying and selling to try to generate some extra funds to help cover the cost of the cards I want to keep. Mm. And as I started to see success with that, it prompted me to say, hey, maybe there's some other people who are in similar situations who would enjoy learning how to do that too, or at least hearing what I've done to be able to, to create a self-sustaining hobby. And that's kind of what prompted uh, the Waxpack Hero blog that I started in late 2000s. 17 i guess it was Mm -hmm. and then this last december decided to branch that off and add a podcast as well and it's been a lot of fun ever since
1: beautiful that is by the way that is very concise well done thank you you. (laughs) i'm sure you've given it a few times so so tell me tell me when if you got back in 2015 and obviously we're in 2020 now at what point do you feel like you started to really gain traction with doing this kind of as a true side hobby i mean i i I've been through this and you know that the first the first phase of what you do is always tough. You have to grind it out hardcore. When do you feel like it really started to click in the hobby and you started getting a little bit more traction to keep you motivated?
0: I'd say in mid-2016 was, was probably where that tipping point landed for okay. me. Um, and that's mainly because when I came back, I came back as a set collector and I still am a mm. set collector. And if you're going to set collect, that means you need a lot of base cards. But I found that my local hobby shop didn't carry base cards because he, like many people viewed them as worthless and not worth his time. (laughs) And so what that led to though, was me being able to buy all the cast offs from Mm. him or from collections that people brought in where he would cherry pick the high dollar cards, but then the big, monster boxes full of base and inserts that he didn't want to spend his time with, we've kind of worked out a relationship where I would be able to pick up these castoffs from him for pennies or less. And I discovered sport lots at that point also because I was trying to fill out sets and said, well now I've got all these extra base and inserts. Let me try selling them there. And I found a market where I was buying these base and inserts for a half a cent a piece and selling them for 18 cents to a dollar on sport lots and turning other people's garbage into funds that I was able to use to add to my collection. And and that's when I really started to gain traction and then added on ComC, and then added on a little bit more eBay uh, volume that I've had. And over time, I've just been able to gradually build up that inventory and um, do really well.
1: That is, that is awesome stuff. It's funny, as you talk about base cards, I I know there's been lots of chatter just about this year being the rise of the base card. And to, to a certain extent, that's very true. I feel like for the first time, we're starting to see people really care about the base cards they get, mainly in the basketball world. But uh, what a shift. What a shift. Do you, do you focus on certain sports? Or have you kind of... I've heard you talk about soccer on your podcast. What sports do you kind of tend to gravitate towards?
0: Yeah, baseball is my primary still. Okay. Um... Uh, I usually try to, to put together at least one basketball set a year and one football set a year. I have some players from basketball that I always try to to set aside. If I get them, you know, I've got being in, in central Illinois, Michael Jordan was always one of my favorite players. And I continue to have a, you know, a several hundred card Michael Jordan collection. And, you know, I've got some other favorite players from that era Football, I've got, you know, a handful of, of stars that I kind of have in my own personal collection binder, but I don't necessarily go out of my way. I usually just cherry pick a few of them out of different collections I buy to to continue to build that. Mm-hmm. Soccer, I've bought and sold more from just on the business side, you know, because it's it for a while was something that you could get pretty cheap. And then, you know, as prices started to rise, I would sell that off. But I will buy and sell anything hmm. that I can make money on. I'm not discriminate from that perspective, but <laughs> from my own personal collection, it's predominantly baseball, with a more limited um, football, basketball, and hockey.
1: Got it. That makes sense. You, you did nail a, a pretty important point. That it's always a point of contention, right? You're just in this to flip cards to make money, but it's like, hey, look, I'm doing this to fund my own collection. So
0: yeah,
1: yeah, uh, I'm ex- I'm with you. I'm not discriminate either. <laughs> So when you, when you look at a, a, a guy like Jordan, right, you just mentioned you had a few hundred in your collection, and you, you obviously know the explosion of Jordan prices the last few months. Yep. Um, at what point do you kind of rationalize keeping a card in your collection versus selling because the, po- the prices have reached, it just reached a point where it just makes too much sense? Do you think about that? Or do you, as a collector, do you just kind of hold those cards and those players and you have no intent of selling?
0: Yeah, I think for me if it's you know some of the cards in my own collection I have had multiples of. Okay. And I'm happy having multiples of just because I enjoy the card so much. Those are the types of cards that I will eventually it'll prices will eventually reach a point that I'm comfortable selling my duplicates mm. because I think the prices have risen so much. I don't really ever consider selling kind of those single copies or the, the one set or whatever it might be, if it's in my, my personal collection, I'm, I'm happy to kind of keep it forever. Um, but there are others that I will be, you know, much more willing to sell once prices go up, especially if they're duplicates. And so that's kind of the the gauge that I use. Got it. Got it. That, that does make more
1: sense. Um, I feel like this day and age, it's a lot easier to get duplicates.
0: (laughs) <laughs> but, yeah, I, I agree. You know, and especially when I'm buying trying to it, I try to buy collections. Yeah, is a, a cost effective way that I have found to, to do things. And when mm-hmm. you're buying collections, you know, you're getting everything and a lot of times multiples of everything. And so that's that's been a way that that I've acquired those. It's not one at a time, you know, through individual card purchases. It's usually via a, a big collection that I've bought
1: for sure for sure. Do you do you do you have cases for your cards that are sitting out in your your office or do you do you kind of showcase your collection or is it kind of tucked away in a closet? I know both of us have kids so you always have that variable, but what's your typical way of ma- managing the uh, I don't know, the views of your collection?
0: Yeah, I've got uh, a closet that contains my PC that a lot of, you know, I have some stuff in binders, you know, mm-hmm. some player binders and a few of my favorite sets and binders that I will will be able to go and pick out. I do have a handful of cards that are around my computer on my workstation. I've got a, a Nolan Ryan auto that I pulled out of Heritage. Uh, I pulled it myself. I've got a Pete Alonzo auto from the Topps uh, Q&A last year at the National. Um, An Adley Rushman auto that I bought from tops.com. Thank you for pronouncing his name, right? (laughs) Thank you. Is that right? I'm not even sure. That's how I pronounce it. Yeah. Nailed it. All right. Good deal. Uh, a Juan Soto, um, that I pulled out of Allen and Ginter X and then a Gary V auto on his Allen and Ginter card that I got from him at the national last year too. So I've got a handful of cards that are kind of displayed in cases, um, right around my workstation that are some of my current favorites right now. But, um, most of the collection is kind of in the, in the closet that I'll pull out when I want to look at something. Got it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're very similar in that regard. I, it's funny. We talked talk to some guys like Mike, the baseball collector, right? He's got, I mean, his his collection's ridiculous and he has it organized in his room. You walk in, it's like you're walking into a card shop. Whereas, uh, I have to kind of hide my little bit with little, little ones walking around. <laughs> that's, that's true. You know, it's, I, I've also had a, a few instances of, of one of our dogs slipping in, in the middle of the night and grabbing a card that was on the ground. Thankfully, nothing too valuable, and I'll find shreds of it the next morning. <laughs> Yikes. Not fun. Not fun. So tell me then about the platforms that you, you kind of – I mean, you the ebbs and flows of platforms throughout the last five years is probably insane, right? From the sports lots to the eBay to the ComSea to now you got the StarStock. Where, where are you yeah. finding that you're spending most of your time? And I know both of both, both of us have, we're, we're partners with star stock and we're both using that, Yep. but uh, t- tell me where you're spending a lot of your time now.
0: The majority of my time is still spent on, on sport lots. And, okay. um, you know, because I'm still able to get so many base and inserts from these collections, I currently have like 142,000 cards listed on sport lots oh my um, that are Sitting in my in my card room, all organized, ready to sell. Um, Com C continues to grow, um, both through submissions as well as me picking up cards on the site to flip and kind of continuing to build my inventory there. I've been real happy with how Com C has gone for me. Uh, similar in that it's self-sustaining, so I'm using my sales on the site to cover the cost of my new submissions that that go on. I love picking up cards for a penny or two cents on the site and then flipping those for 36 cents or 38 cents or whatever it is. Hmm. And, you know, gradually building that inventory over time. And yeah, it's only making 15 or 20 cents profit, but I, it took me one second to buy and relist, you know, for a penny and let it sit there and sell. So I've, I've had a lot of good time there. Uh, eBay, I try to keep around 200 or so active listings on eBay. And so that's usually maybe adding, um, 10 or 15 cards a week to, to what I'm selling on eBay. And then star stock, I sent in, you know, some cards as part of the initial launch to, to test that out. And it's worked well for me so far. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to their continued expansion of the sets and brands that they accept. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think that would be helpful. You know, I had some revolution basketball, um, that they, that's not one of the sets that they're actively accepting right now, but I think there would have been a, a demand for some of those rookie cards um, for sure. And so there's some things like that, that I'm looking forward to see them continue to iterate. And, um, but I've been happy with the, the test, um, group that I've sent in so far there, but th- those are the, the primary, primary sources for me.
1: That's impressive. I always get the question, like how, Ty, how do you have all this time to handle these things that are going on? You just put me to shame. I don't know how you're handling four different channels of selling cards. It's impressive.
0: Yeah, I, I think for me, you know, a part of it is we were talking before we started recording, but I'm an early riser, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, I've got a family and all, but I'm up at 5 a.m. and and I've usually got at least a couple hours before I start work. And so, that's seven days a week, you know, two hours a day, seven days a week that I've got to kind of focus on the podcast and website and, mm-hmm. and card stuff. And then, you know, maybe another hour to, to two hours throughout the day of filling other orders or, you know, putting in some other listings and things like that. And so it's, it's a balance, like you have to be kind of intentional with your time to be able to still do those types of things and not sacrifice time with the family and that type of, and, and make sure you're, you know, putting in your time at work and all of that kind of stuff. But I've, I've been, uh, at this point I'm able to still, still kind of keep all of those things in balance.
1: It's impressive. It's impressive. I think the key word there was you have to be intentional about it, right? Cause it's so easy to start this stuff and, and lose interest quickly. <laughs> momentum is key in this in anything but i feel like especially when you're building a hobby business you have to can be so consistent to make it work yep you've been doing a great job so all right so let's shift shift gears a little bit our one of our primary topics was to talk about project 2020 and we can get to that here in a minute because i have some stuff i want i want you to (laughs) respond to but kind of give me your perspective on just the overall rise of prices in the hobby i mean my gosh It seems like every time you look at a new first off the line product from Panini, now you got. I mean, we're well into the thousands, right? Was National Treasure? Was it starting at twenty k? Yeah, twenty or twenty five, something like that. It's insane, right? I mean, these are the numbers we're throwing around, and you you've essentially cannibalized a a majority of your collectors base when you got prices that high. I'm granted they're not selling for that high, but I mean, I think it ended at, what eight, nine, ten, somewhere in that range.
0: What, yeah, I think seven seventy five hundred or something was like the final price. Their floor and and either they sold out at that price or they pulled it, you know, and right and stopped the listing. I don't know that we ever saw definitive responses, but I think seventy five hundred was a floor.
1: Got it. What's kind of your reaction to that? And, and and is this sustainable? Like, is this price increase growth? Is it is it is it good for the hobby? so Two big questions there.
0: I think. In my personal opinion, that it's gone too far. I think we've escalated past um, what is healthy for the hobby. You now, I'm I'm all for the free market, and if people are paying paying it, go for it. But I don't know that it's good for us in the long run. You know, it's forced me to adapt my my approach as I started really getting back into it in 17 and 18. I was doing a lot of pre-order cases through my LCS, hmm. and I benefited a little from those early rises in price because I was able to essentially buy two cases, sell one back to him offset a big chunk of the case that I was going to keep and open. And I, I benefited there, but it's gotten to a point where the last couple of years, especially as allocations all, all crept in because of those price increases that I, I went from buying about 14 or 16 cases in 2018 to zero in 2020 I have Mm -hmm. zero cases pre-ordered and I'm fine adapting my approach you know I think one of the things I try to message is things are gonna ebb, things are gonna flow and as long as you're willing to adapt to fit the market then it's gonna work out fine for you and and I've adapted to shift more towards buying collections and, and some of those types of things um, and just buying a complete set, or buying the contents of somebody else's case break when they only want the autos from Bowman, and I'll scoop up an entire case worth of base and chrome, you know, a Bowman draft for <laughs> a couple hundred bucks when they paid fifteen hundred for the whole case and only kept the autos. You know, I've shifted to do things like that, and so I think the the sealed wax prices have risen to a point where there's a lot of people that are gonna get burned and that money's gonna dry up i think the price increases on some of the singles some of them i think are probably fair and i think some are also overheated and and um, are reaching a point where there's going to be some people that have a, a chance to really get burned in the long run
1: absolutely so so a couple responses to that so do you feel like the singles market, the price increases we're seeing, and you could argue that across the board, singles increase, there's been price increases for just about everybody. I think as the market's gone up, most singles have gone up. Do you think that's strictly reflective of just box prices going up and it becoming harder and harder to get cards? Or do you think that's just because of the the demand of cards and the market growing is driving those prices? What do you think's the big, which one's most to blame? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't have – so I don't have – I'm going to start with I don't have hard data to prove this. This is just my own opinion. But I think it's a combination of those factors. I think there's probably more people who are doing what I'm doing and uh, are backing out of buying sealed wax um, because of the the price of sealed wax, which is increasing the demand for singles. I think that's part of it. I think there is – a su- maybe not so subtle anymore shift where some people are getting sick of paying ridiculous prices for autos and that's led to people seeking out a more affordable option and mm-hmm. that's what i think maybe is driving some of the the move in the market back towards rookie cards and base rookie cards of of some key players and you know i think also just the overall Growth that we're seeing in the in the market of people wanting to start collecting again, and people are going back to buy some of their favorite players from when they were a kid, um, a move to vintage, a move to um, just buying those those singles. So I, I think it's a combination of all all of those things, in in my opinion, anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree with any of that, and I think you could probably even add a fifth component to just the the, the rise of the graded card, right? Where people they see that a uh, PSA 10 of a Zion Williamson can sell for 3,500 bucks and they're thinking, okay, well shoot, I don't have to spend you know X amount of dollars to get a pack or a box or I can buy a car a Zion Williamson raw and hopefully I can get it graded somewhere around a PSA nine or 10 and I can, you know, the margins are insane. Yep. Yep. Um, it's uh it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating, right? Cause there's, there's just so many variables that are kind of dictating all this crazy price movement. And look, I, I, You've broken down a lot of this. I've broken down a lot of this. It's the ver- the variation and the, um, I don't know, the ups and downs can be frustrating, but it's actually, it makes for a really fun hobby because it, it creates opportunity. That's the way I look at it.
0: Yeah. I, I, I just get, a, I just have a lot of fun watching how the market unfolds and watching some of these ebbs and flows and watching what's hot now. And then what falls out of favor and what comes in in hot, you know, several months later and going back and listening to everyone who had it all figured out at every step <laughs> along the way. You know, it's it, I just get I just have a lot of fun with that. And so that that whole um, market aspect of cards is is one of the things that I I just really enjoy. 100%.
1: 100%, which is a great transition. We, we could talk about the rise of the prices uh, on another episode. But let, let's dig into Project 2020 real quick, because you, you've done a great job of putting together a landing page. I've used it for my own research. Um, so props to you for putting together the kind of a, a go-to resource for everything happening with Project 2020. But on my end, right, I break down the sales data and kind of look at things from an analytical perspective after the fact. Sure. What, um, what <laughs> let's, let's start with this. It's June 6th, and we're recording this, right? And we've seen a, we've essentially seen from May 20th, we saw the explosion to the peak around May 27th. We had that week where everything just went bonkers, and everyone was trying to jump on the train to catch up with Project 2020 to now, June 7th, where we're basically back to prices and, and overall sales in the marketplace for Project 2020 to where we were on May. On May 23rd. Where, where, where do you think we are with Project 2020? Let's just start there. Where do you think we are?
0: That's a, that's a good question. Where do we think we are? I think my overall assessment is we had a week or a week and a half of irrational exuberance, right? <laughs> you know, it was the original cards were spiking super high, but even a month's worth of cards that nobody had in hand, were going through the roof. You know, as soon as the the order window closed, it was instantly doubling in price, even though somebody was never going to have that card in hand for a month or more because of the, the backlog that Topps was experiencing. I'm glad that we've cooled that off a little bit. But I am cautious to make an overall assessment of the project based on the fact that we're only a quarter of the way through, and we had a weird 15, 20 cards you know, it, over a, a 10 day period. Mm-hmm. And so most people who bought direct at this point for cards they have in hand are still very happy with what kind of return they can get on their 15, 16, $17 purchase. right. And I think a lot of people are losing sight of that because they think about the, in that week when cards were selling for five or six hundred dollars, and now they're hundred dollars or one hundred twenty-five dollars, and people are looking. Some people are looking from that window and say, "Man, this this is is over. We're done with it." You know, I'm looking at the fact that I paid sixteen fifty for that card and am still able to sell it for one hundred twenty-five dollars four weeks later. Right. Now, will that hold? it seems like some of those prices are starting to stabilize. You know, some of those cards that are pe- people are getting in hand that were sold at the beginning of may in those first couple weeks of may, it seems like prices are starting to hold a little bit on those. At least they're not continuing to free fall. Like we saw last week. Um, will that continue? Will they continue to hold or will they trickle down into the $40, 50 range? I don't know mm-hmm. if they do. I'm still doubling my money, you know, at that price what i'm curious to see is these cards that were purchased at the peak when there's 40, 50, 60, 90,000 of some of these cards being sold once people have those in hand and start getting them on the market what is what are what are the secondary market prices for those cards Mm-hmm. I have a hard time putting much credence or credibility into the price trends for cards that people don't even have in hand yet, because it's kind of an artificial market, in my opinion. You have some people who are willing to pre-sell. I won't pre-sell anything. It, I don't consider it a real card until I've got it in hand to sell somebody. Mm-hmm. You have a you have a a customer base where some people are willing to speculate on those, and then you have a whole bunch of other people that say, "Forget this pre-order stuff. I don't. I'm not going to even." look to buy it until somebody can actually send it to me and so i have a hard time putting much credibility or worrying too much about what the price trends are for any card that's not in hand
1: a hundred percent agree a hundred percent agree yeah I, i think that that is one of the crazy things about all this right i mean there are only tops is only shipped up to what card 66 I th- I think Somewhere 70, around there, seventy. Okay, about
0: seventy. Yeah, because I got a, an order in yesterday that I think was I'm grabbing the invoices right here. Um Yeah, sixty-nine and seventy. I got in yesterday,
1: and we're we're on release a hundred right now. Um, yeah, 102. two, one hundred two. So we're, I mean, we're we're essentially, I don't know, almost three or four weeks behind at this point from toss- and And they've already said they're going to have delays. You know, out twelve weeks now in some cases. So. Yeah, I'm I'm with you 100. percent I think that has probably contributed to a majority of the pullback. It's like, well, a lot of us that pre that bought are We're not going to. I'm not selling. You're not selling. A lot of the experienced sellers know better. Like it's just asking for trouble to pre sell this stuff. Yep. But I mean, you look at right. You look at Griffey's. Uh, you know, Keith Shore number 88. I mean, his average price as of yesterday was was $12 on eBay. Right. Even, you know, release like 86, a couple of weeks before that with Dwight Gooden, with a print run of 25,000, his average price is 34. So it's going to be really interesting. You're right. Cause I, the, the print runs have pulled back considerably. But what point, do, where's the tipping point with print run? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Cause this all comes down to supply and demand.
0: Yeah. Right. You know, so for me, I, you know, I kind of outlined a little bit of this on the website, mm-hmm. but I completely overlooked this product at the beginning. And mm-hmm. I just, I looked at the price point. I just, I, I didn't give it much time of of day. I didn't really think about it. And then as I was starting to look more and more, and some of these early cards at the time were selling for 40, 50 bucks, I'm like, Hey, that's double your money. I can buy a couple and sell one. And I essentially could build this for free. Let me test it out. So my first cards that I bought were. 33 Don Mattingly. I bought 10 of those and I bought 30 or 10 of the 35 Mike Trouts. Mm -hmm. And when I got those in hand a couple weeks later, at that point, there wasn't much of a backlog. I kept one of the Don Mattingly's and sold the other nine on the day that I listed them all to the same buyer for like $38 each. And I'm like, I doubled my money in a day. (laughs) And then two weeks later, it's selling for 400, 500, you know, and obviously that was in the midst of the, the hype and that's come back down the trout similar I bought 10 of those sold those to multiple people for in, in the 30s I think you know the 35 mike trout now 5 of those got destroyed in a mail truck fire um what which was it's yeah yeah so I had a, somebody bought 5 shipped to California and uh According to USPS, they had an alert on the tracking. I was supposed to call customer service and they're like, uh, yeah, so your package was destroyed in a mail truck fire. And so you might as well go ahead and, and, you know, do what you need to do, file a claim and all of that kind of stuff. And so I did and let the buyer know. And then two weeks later, they miraculously show up at the guy's house in a water in the waterlogged box that had been doused with fire hose. They were soaking wet and wrapped in saran wrap at the guy's house. And so fortunately, well, he didn't really want them, obviously. Um, he sent them back to me. And so I, um, I have five, five my Trouts <laughs> that were in a mail truck fire doused with a fire hose. Um, two of them are, are perfect. They, they, they are still fine. Smelled a little bit like smoke, but I've let them air out and you, you can't even tell now but one was just completely waterlogged came up the multiple layers of the card came apart. Anyway, that was a big tangent, but that's been part of my experience. (laughs) So good. Um, Back to the, the print run stuff. When I, when I decided I was going to go into this a little bit deep, I started buying 10 at a time with card number 57 Henderson. Okay. And I bought 10 of several of that in that, in that range then I backed it down to five as we started to see a little bit more of a, a price increase and we started to see a little more lag in shipping times. And fortunately for me, I feel at this point, I backed down to only buying two of each card right before the, the big, the big run up. So kind of with the, mm-hmm. in the, the mid eighties there, I, I started only buying two at a time. And so fortunately for the me, the ones that I've, I went deeper on are still selling for pretty decent on mm-hmm. the aftermarket um, and the ones that are now bordering on that break-even point or under are are ones that i only bought two of and so i i think we're we're, we're gonna see you know an interesting balance of where this print run where the right quote-unquote right print run is to have it still be a popular hold people's popularity, but still have decent secondary market prices. I think Mm -hmm. with this one Oh one and one Oh two, we might see cards that get back into just over 10,000 again, you know? Um, And so I'm interested to see where it all goes and, and, and learn where that right print run is. But again, I, I don't know that we'll have a good assessment of that for another month until some of these high print run cards start to be in hand.
1: Completely agree. Completely agree. Yeah, it, it's it's funny, right? So the the uh, the charts that I'll put out, it, it's is there's a direct. Cor- and it's funny how the market kind of just handles this on its own, right? I, I love the free market kind of digesting these certain things. But it, it's there's a direct correlation between you know green prices, which are the, you know, the top fifty percent of prices, and the lowest print runs, the top bottom fifty percent. I mean, it is almost identical. You could map it by a simple equation, almost. Yep. it's it's like it, it truly is running on supply and demand. I think what people tend to forget is that when we saw that run up that week, it's like a momentum stock right where no one cares about fundamentals. It's oh my gosh, everyone's doing it everyone's got fomo right they're all buying a lot of the people are buying and selling again and again and again it's the same community of buyers and, that are just <laughs> flipping right and it's, it's it creates this idea of artificial you know demand. Yep. When in reality, right? There's just the sports car market's big, but it's not as big as people think. Everyone kind of overestimates that. I feel like it's it's not as big as you think. Um, there's there's a lot of money in it, but a lot of that money is coming from a very small percentage of people that are actually in the hobby. So, I think that uh, that that made for a fun week. <laughs>
0: it' was, It was a it was a wild ride, yeah well, and on
1: top of that too, right, I think you go you go into the discord channels or the you know forums and you find that a, a, so many of these people were struggling with people canceling bids, yep. people backing out, and so you got all these auctions that really didn't happen, right, and so you got that kind of again artificial pricing um that was taking place in the secondary market, and it no one knows that right, no one knows what really happened behind the scenes on that transaction, and I think there was a good percentage of transactions that fell through because either people realize, oh crap, I overpaid, or a seller was like, nah, I think I'm good. I'm gonna sell it for five hundred dollars more today.
0: <laughs> yeah, I uh, I fortunately I only had one cancellation or or return request and it was from some of the Ted Williams cards that I sold last weekend, even after I'd had them in hand, somebody made me an offer and I accepted it. And then as soon as they got it, they decided they didn't want it anymore. You know, they had twenty five hundred hundred percent positive feedback. Um, but they, they claimed that the card was off center and I didn't note that in the auction, even though the picture was of the exact card, you know, that they got, um, in reality, the price went down 60 or $70. Um, but then I had two other people that bought, you know, the Ricky Henderson and, um, they gave me positive feedback and one even reached out and said, Hey, I know the price went down, but just so you know, you're going to get positive feedback from me and oh, that's cool. strong. And they had less than a hundred feedback. They're, you know, brand new, um, or newer to eBay. And so you just never know. But fortunately I've only had one return request and hopefully that continues, especially since I'm selling now where, where it's off of the astronomical peak and I've got the cards in hand to ship and they're getting them, you know, Two days after they purchase it,
1: for sure, for sure. Where, where do you think? Where do you think Project Twenty Twenty falls? Where, where's its place in the hobby? Do you feel like it becomes another Topps Living, and kind of to a certain extent forgotten? Um, you're you're much more in tune with Topps Living than I am, but do do you think this is a relevant set come this time next year?
0: I I hope so. I think the unique aspect of bringing in some of the fans of these 20 artists I think is the is the factor that can make it different than the living set yeah the living set I'm, I'm disappointed in how much that's become an afterthought I still enjoy it and I'm still um, building that living set out um, but I there's there's no aspect of the living set at this point do I do for potential price appreciation it's purely a personal collection set for me mm-hmm. um, I hope that the unique aspect of having kind of whether you're, you're going after a certain player and having 20 different artist interpretations of that player, or you're a, a fan of a particular artist and being able to get 20 different um, designs from that artist. I hope that is the, the aspect of this um, set that keeps it relevant going into the future.
1: Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I, I... I struggle with trying to pinpoint where I think it falls because, yeah, there is an element that we just can't, you can't, um, we don't understand yet. We don't understand how the art community and that, those audiences are going to respond to this. Because, I mean, we know how the sports car will will probably respond to it. Like, they'll probably move on to the next thing. Right? That's just the reality of sports car collectors. Yep. So... Um, yeah.
0: And it's, you know, we're a hundred cards in, you know, and, and we've got the crazy 300 thing. cards still to go. And so it's so hard to make a determination of, of where this will be in October or July or August, even, you know, um, for yeah. that matter. And uh,
1: So I do think if, if any criticism, there's a lot of criticism, I shouldn't even say that the, one of the main pieces of criticism I would have for tops is I think you made this way too big. I think you should have you should have consolidated maybe done a, a hundred card set for series one or two thousand twenty picked a different set of players and done next year's set they're gonna keep doing this right I mean they're just they're they're making some serious cash, but I mean it's just people are getting i think they're gonna get tired of the same players um and seeing the same artists kind of rework a different card
0: yeah i'm enjoying I'm enjoying the cards but Kind of going back to that me wanting to have a self-sustaining hobby, part of what turned me off at the beginning was thinking about this is kind of a cool idea, but unless I'm able to buy and sell to generate those funds, there's no way that I would sink $8,000 into this set for my yep. own collection. I'm happy to continue to do that as long as I'm able to buy and sell enough of the these cards to cover that cost. I think it's it's cool, that perspective but if we get into a point where sustained secondary market sales are at or below the, the direct cost from tops as much as I like it, I'm not going to sink personal funds into it. Right. You know, and so it's going to still have to be self-sustaining for me to continue on to it. I hope it does stay that way, but I I think for those that aren't doing it that way, if they are just sinking their own personal funds into that, it's going to add up real quick, especially <laughs> if they add a second year or a third year and continue it being 400 uh, cards.
1: Yep, yep. I'm with you. What's your favorite card in the in the Project 2020 set so far?
0: I I really like the first one that I got, that Mattingly 33. Hmm. Um, I really like that card so far. Um, it is the first one I had in hand. It's it, and maybe that's part of what what anchored me to it. I'm not a, a huge Mattingly fan, but I just really like that card. Um, it's also the lowest print run of any of the ones that I own, I believe. <laughs> Actually, I've got a, a good in that's um, that might be a little bit lower, but um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's probably my favorite right now.
1: Okay, nice. Uh, I will say that I, I did like the Blake Jameson trout number 100 a lot i thought he did a really good job on that but uh, i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of gravitating toward this new Clemente that just came out by taylor i say all that right and here the, the latest release is the one i like the most but <laughs> i think it's i think his tastefulness of the pirate in the right corner was pretty sweet and uh yeah
0: there's i really like seeing what you know some of those background things are i i like the i don't remember which uh, Nolan Ryan it is off mm-hmm. the top of my head but the one where he's like punching out Robin Ventura in mm-hmm. the background um, I don't know if you've noticed that one or not but that's one of the background images is of of him giving Ventura the, the old knuckles I need to look at that one because it wasn't 87 right because that was
1: Joshua is it Vides I don't even know how you pronounce his name but
0: yeah let me, let me look real quick I'm having, and I have to scroll on the website to the, the Nolan Ryan section
1: where do I go to find this?
0: Uh, you can Wax go to waxpackhero.com slash blog slash tops dash project 2020 or just go to waxpackhero.com <laughs> and click on the Tops 2020 logo at the top of the screen and that'll take you right there. Um, oh. It is number 67. There it is,
1: yeah. Andrew Thiel. Yeah. Oh, that is cool.
0: And so that's, that's kind of a neat neat take on it, I think. Very sweet.
1: Nice. All right, cool. We got to wrap up here. Um, a couple questions for you. What, I know you you obviously have a, a great podcast. And for those that haven't heard it, go check it out. But what other non-sports podcasts, I shouldn't even say that. What other, what other non-hobby related podcast do you enjoy listening to?
0: Yeah, there's, there's a couple. Um, I really enjoy um, Stuff You Should Know mm-hmm. um, from the, the How Stuff Works. Uh, network or website or I don't even know that it's changed hands so many times but um, <laughs> Stuff You Should Know is one of my favorites and then The Relevant Magazine podcast is another um, one of my favorites that I've listened oh. to for years and years.
1: I, I've, I've read The Relevant Magazine for years. It's how I find good alternative Christian bands. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. So th- their podcast is is pretty entertaining.
1: That's awesome. All right. What um, what song would you have in the background, if you were breaking, uh, uh, maybe you put songs in the background, but what song do you like to have in the background as you're breaking cards? Kind of keep you, your spirit high.
0: I, yeah, so I'm not going to, I don't know that I would pick a particular um, song, but my go-to is like the 90s Spotify um, playlist. Okay. And so I like to, to turn on those um, 90s, sometimes 80s. Uh, my kids even enjoy them. They say, "Dad, put on that old bad music again." Like that's what they call it, but they they enjoy listening to it as well. So we have the the '80s and '90s playlists running pretty continuously around uh, our house.
1: That's funny. I, it, there's there's I just saw recently a couple of bands that have, have come out, and I saw a review on them, and it's like this band is great because they they do a great job of reconnecting us with the '90s era of music. And I thought, my gosh, where that far removed from the nineties now where you're, we're having to like go back and reconnect with that era. It just seems crazy. Cause yeah, that's Let's what try. I, that's what I grew up with too. Eighties and nineties <laughs> What what's your favorite book you've ever read?
0: Uh, favorite book I've ever read. Red's uh, the um, keyword. Yes. I think one of my go-tos right now that I keep going back to, um, every couple of years is Velvet Elvis by Rob Bell. Okay. That, that is one of my favorites.
1: Um, what was the one he wrote after that? Or maybe it was before that, he became popular because of it.
0: That was his first one.
1: That Velvet Elvis was his first one, okay. So yep.
0: yeah, he was, a, he was a
1: polarizing figure. Yeah, In he, whole he, religious community.
0: <laughs> yep,
1: he is. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I guess still is. <laughs> Interesting. Do you remember a book by um uh Donald Miller, Blue Like Jazz?
0: Yep, that was that would have been probably number two.
1: Oh, nice. Well, it's funny. have you followed Donald, Donald Miller since then?
0: Yeah, he's he's turned a quite a career.
1: It's incredible. It's incredible. I I've 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 followed a lot of what he's done he's he's been on podcasts and he do, he's great with marketing content how to help your business market and we've used yeah. it all kinds of places but yeah what a what a trajectory he's been on <laughs>
0: yeah it's From- it's been great and it's you know it's so true you know trying to help people understand you got to tell a story yeah it's there's a, a it's you build relationship by connecting people to your story and that has to be a part of it
1: for sure yeah his book for those that don't know anything about him go check out his book i think it's called story brand you know story brand marketing um, on amazon it's well worth the 15 bucks it'll help you it'll help you rethink the way you position your business for sure but uh all right favorite thing to do with your girls your your two girls what's your favorite kind of thing to go out and, and hang out and do with them
0: Yeah. I think it's unique for each of them. Mm -hmm. Um, one of them really enjoys like some of the outdoor stuff like fishing. And so we'll fish out in the backyard or, you know, do some of that kind of stuff. She enjoys getting dirty with me. So she'll, she likes to go with me to take the truck and go get a load of dirt or mulch or whatever, and haul stuff in our truck that she, she likes to (laughs) say. And then the other one just likes, other, you know, kind of quality time. So she'll like to just go for a walk with me or go with me to get ice cream or do something like that. And so those are, you know, I try to, to find things to do that just speak to their personalities and what matters most to them. And and so some of them are more activities and some are, are just is, is just purely spending time with me. And so I try to, to match that.
1: Awesome. The intricacies of being a parent, right? right all right man well it's been really nice to have you here have, yeah, a, have an amazing saturday mike
0: yeah thanks for having me on i enjoy the conversation
1: absolutely real quick waxpackhero.com everything That's you poison. do is is there right you got your podcast you got your blog there anywhere else i can find you or should they just start there
0: yeah, I'd say start with with waxpackhero.com and that has the links on where you can subscribe to the podcast and read the the articles that I've got out. You can follow me on Twitter at the mike summer. That's probably the other main social media presence. Cool. What's your TikTok page? Uh it's also waxpackhero. Oh, t- totally kidding. It's, but- <laughs> it's, it's continuing to grow. It, in the I started that that TikTok account at the end of March and I'm already up over 1600 um Sixteen hundred followers, or whatever they call it, um, but it has been an explosion. Every fifteen second video I do is, you know, getting in the thousands of views. I had a, a, a video of me saving a turtle out of our neighborhood pond overflow in the back. That's over three hundred thousand views on TikTok. I mean, what the heck? That's no joke. That 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 platform is no joke. And so, I've uh, had a little more fun there doing card content. I do a, a dad joke with my girls every once in a while. It's a lot of fun. But yeah, Wax Pack Hero on TikTok as well.
1: Well, there you go. I'll, I'll have to go check that out. I need to start an account first. But yeah, I need to go check that out. <laughs> Amazing, dude. Have a great weekend. Thanks so much for your time. You too. All right, brother.
0: Talk Sorry. to you later. Bye. Hey, this is Jeff from Pack Geek. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Breaker Culture. Come check out my show on YouTube at youtube.com slash packgeek. Really?